You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be playing Six Degrees of Doctor Who Snap, so you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Simon. Hi, I'm Matt. Do you remember when we talked about this the other day? Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't think I would actually do it, presumably, and I have. Okay. So I have here <clears throat> about 75 cards or something in that region. I've made it simple. Each of these 75 cards has the name of a Doctor Who story on it. I've picked, roughly speaking, two from each series across the entire 55 years. And uh, what I'm going to do is get first Simon and then Matt to pick two cards out and try and come up with a connection between the two. That's not something as simple as it was both written by the same person or both stars the same doctor or both has the same companion in. So a bit of tangential thinking, maybe. Okay. Just come up with anything that kind of links Fra- the two. Fraser Hines did something like this on Facebook oh, did a few weeks ago. But with Fraser Hines. <laughs> so he was asking people to mention actors or or other people. And then he was... So linking himself to them. Doing the yeah, kind of linking himself thing. to them. Yeah. Six degrees Which is separation. Slightly, it feels a bit slightly egotistical. But kind of fun, I but, suppose, yeah, if yeah, you're a... Yeah. Right, these cards are all completely randomly... And look, I don't want to put either of you well, on you the spot. you go first. Oh, no, I'm not doing it. Because I know what I've written down. Well, how are you going to say anything? Well, I'm not going to. This is for you two. You're not putting specific pairs up. Is this random? I know it's completely random. There's right. one name on each card. So okay, I just want you to pick two cards at random and each chip in on the others and help each other out. And I'm not scoring it. I'd think about scoring it, but actually thinking about it, no. I'd be like going out to school. No. So one of you picks two <coughs> cards and you get the first opportunity to think of something, but the other person can chip in and I'll chip in. And we'll, we'll just do it. We'll just pick out go. two stories at random and mm-hmm. see how it goes. And like I say, if it, doesn't, for the listeners. if it doesn't work out, we'll <laughs> knock it on the head after a quarter of an hour and we'll never, this podcast will never see the light of day. So if you're listening to this, it worked, at least to a certain degree. Simon, there's about 75 cards there. Right, that's, a lot, that's a lot of effort. Well, these, not really. these are real cards. It took about ten minutes. Okay. And that one. Go on then. And what have you got? I've got Curse of the Black Spot <laughs> and the Horns of Nyman. So Curse of the Black Where's Spot. That there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Curse of the Black Spot. <laughs> there is a connection. <laughs> well, yeah. There's a very obvious connection, actually. What the both? Have you? Bit? Spot the same one I have. Oh no, probably not. No. Oh, no. come on. You say what your no. Mine's is. literally a critical one. Is that neither of them are particularly popular episodes? Are they? Okay. Matt, did you come up with anything? I can think. I had to, but this one is not mine. Oh no, no. I'm um, saying let's all chip in and see if we can spot. Uh, so let's between the three of us see if we can come up with the best connection. Well, hang on a minute. How, how are the Nyman operating again? By Aren't hopping they... through a hyperspace gate type thing. Yeah, that's right. And what happens at the end of the Curse of the Black Spot? Yeah, but there's also there's also figures from mythology. So Nymon have the Minotaur, I guess, because yeah. Black Spot is effectively a siren. So you have a connection. It's the same interrelation between. It's the same sort of futurization of mythology. Yeah, um, so that's a good connection. Mythological creatures. So there you go. Actually, we've picked out two stories at random, and we both looked at them and said, "Do what?" And actually, we've come up with, I think, a couple of fairly decent yeah, connections it's, it's between those two random, random <laughs> stories. There's not a Blue Peter connection, is there? Janet, Alice. Okay, and, Matt, you pick a couple of cards then. And the two cards you've got I've are... got uh, the television movie and Pyramids of Mars. So... Oh, crikey. Well, I, th- I think the connection between these is probably their treatment of... Time. Oh, I was just going to say. So the they same both thing, have yeah. something unusual about time that you don't often see in Doctor Who. So Pyramids of Mars, you actually see an alternative future that's been generated by the story itself, which you very rarely see in a TV movie. You have you have the reversal of time, 
as a as a kind of a plot point, which is something else you don't often see. And actually, further than that, in the TV movie, you suddenly learn that the Doctor's got this ability to tell people's futures, mm. which is essentially it's very uh, sort of related. Yeah. But it's essentially related to what he does by showing Sarah the future in Pyramids and Mars. Yes. So that's yeah. another angle on that. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's the time it's the time thing that stands out for yeah. me. Yeah. Well that's what I mean. That's time um, related as well. It's related yeah. to what you're saying. Hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Anything more yeah. to add, Simon? Not that I can think of, no. Okay. Shall I pick two then, even though? Well, so we'll go round in a circle here. So there's one and there's another. And I've got Robot of Sherwood and Planet of Fire. Um, the thing that strikes me first is the way they treat, not necessarily religion. Go on, Matt's got something already, by the way. Well, it's robots disguised as people. Mm. Oh, yeah, there's that, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's what's sprung to my mind. I was thinking thematically, yeah. Robot of Sherwood, the Doctor turns up and you've got somebody that he assumes is a false god, mm. as it were, or a, a false hero a mythological mm-hmm. figure and planet of fire one of the big story strands in that is is god real or false mm. so there's also this sort of thematical question about what's real in the things that we idolize doesn't the the baddie get burnt at the end of each one as well it's true yeah so there's another one <laughs> yeah. as a more prosaic well, I mean, this I'm, is... I'm going to go for the basic links you go for the religion versus science <laughs> religion versus science it's uh, Simon's go yeah but actually this is going better than I expected so we're not knocking it on the head just yet we've only had six minutes this could get <laughs> this could get old there's one uh, yeah but I there's think two. I think this is this will last for 60 minutes and why are you giving them to me I'm just making it with this. Oh, okay. Silence in the Library and the Waters Ooh. of Mars. The fear Factor is the immediate thing that comes to me. Is the, the, the walking skeletons inside the suits and then the water zombies. I, yeah, I yeah but more than that. Well. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, gone. Oh, but more than that, the monsters in each of them are humans who have been turned into monsters by the atmosphere around them. And the inverted commas baddie is kind of a nondescript... Yeah. So in Silence of the Library... Almost elemental. Yeah, you've got the walking skeletons of the crew, Mm. and in the waters of Mars, you've got the walking water monsters of the crew, Mm -hmm. both of whom, through contact with one of the elements in the atmosphere, Mm. have turned into monsters. And, And it is elements as well. So in waters of Mars, obviously... The water. water is deadly. Yeah, and in Science of the Library, that, you can say that it's dust. I mean, you're but in the library. The air is de- deadly. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's the sort of the the dust. So one of the things I like yeah, yeah. about Science of the Library is this idea that shadows and dust are killers, and that's what you get in libraries. You get shadows and you get dust. <sighs> and I tell you something else. It's not really a connection, but slightly similar in my head. Silence isn't the library is resolved when the Doctor says, look me up. And the waters of Mars is resolved when the Doctor says, I don't have to play by the rules. Mm. And although that's not the same thing, mm. it sort of comes down to the Doctor making a decision about how important he is, if you know what I mean. And they mm. both end with the suicide of a strong female character. Very true. They do. Yeah. So now... Or giving their life in order to... Yes. It's suicide. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what's your two stories, Matt? Does it say Exeter Poo on the front of the... No, it doesn't. Okay. (laughs) Oh, this is stuff you've stolen from work. Yes, so don't bring it up. Dear idea. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I've got the sea devils and the curse of Fenrir. <laughs> well, well, so I think. Let's, I, I let's let the well. listener do that one for himself. Well, let's try and think of one other than the fact that the curse of Fenrir stole the scene from the sea devils. Um, it didn't just steal the scene; it stole the idea of ancient creatures climbing out. It's not just the scene, but it's the fact that they're ancient creatures. Yeah, yeah. So but it's it's a look, but it's also um they but they're both to do with. but military bases on the coast as well which is quite unusual we get that a fair amount in Pertwee but in the Curse of Fenric 
that's at the time when you don't often get that. And in fact, in The Curse of Fenric, it's actually set in the past. So that whole idea of military bases in the country in the 1970s, it was almost expected. It's part of the fabric of this kind of mummerset sort of parochial 1970s country. Whereas by the time the 1980s come along, military bases have become more American Air Force bases that weren't suitable as settings for Doctor Who. So it's kind of, it's kind of demonstrates how in about 15 years we've moved that far enough away from the Second World War for that sort of Second World War architecture to become historical, whereas in the Sea Devils, the Second World War, we still had military bases on the coast. Ah. Oh, Simon's got a thought. Do you need the chess news, games? Simon? Chess games. Oh, yeah, there's oh, a chess game in the Sea Devils. And there's yeah. a chess what game. are the chances? There we go. And just to finish my thought, because yeah. Fenric's about an evil since the dawn of time, evil Sea Devils... Since the dawn of time. And <laughs> Sea Devils is about an evil since the dawn of human time. Evil since the dawn of human time. My... Is that your pet? Your, no, uh, it's a uh, McCoy. McCoy, version. yeah. Well, actually, it sounded more like Pertwee than McCoy. So. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, it's my turn, isn't it? So. These are completely random listeners. Completely. They are. Yeah, which is really good. Come on, Okay, I've got Human Nature and the Unquiet Dead. So that's... <laughs> but they're both about things that you wouldn't expect to see animated that are animated. Mm-hmm. On one case, corpses, and on the other hand, scarecrows. They're both historical. Mm. Um, I don't know if you can go much more than that. Either of you two got any thoughts? They're quite literate stories. So um, Human Nature has... I mean, it's based on a book, for, for starters, but it's also got... Uh, a teacher sort of, in who's teaching... It's got touches of the go-between about it mm-hmm. and and this kind of... Whereas The Unquiet Dead is all obviously a sort of a Dickens, a Dickens par- parody. And Dickens is on Dickens the lecture it. circuit, as it yeah. were. Yeah. Which doesn't put him a million miles away from where John Smith is in human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a character in The Quiet, Unquiet Dead who learns her future to a degree when Rose is there, that scene that Russell T. Davis added in the basement. Is there anything in human nature that corresponds with that? I mean, there's stuff about the wars coming. Yeah. I suppose at the end of the story, we go and discover the character's future. Yeah when we see that scene at the end, the little epilogue. So in a way, that's kind of physicalising what you only talk about in The Unquiet Dead. It's also a um, comment on working class. Mm-hmm. Or the, the serving okay. class. Yeah. These yeah. are all kind of minor things, though. Mm, yeah, more to history re- than that. That's the, one, that's the first one that's really stumped us a bit, really, isn't it? I'll think about it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Go on, then, Simon. Pick, pick no, two no, more. No. Have we... No, no, no. One from there and one from the other end. There we go. Full circle. And, and Father's, Father's Day. Day. Oh, blimey. Let me think. Um, it's also, oh, it's all to do with... Evolution in uh, relationships. Evolution in relationships, yeah. yeah. Relatory. So, so there's, full, a cyclical yeah. Na- there's a cyclical nature to both of the stories. Yeah. Full circle, obviously, is to do with the evolution of a species... Whereas Father's Day, it's the cyclical nature of Rose mm. and and where Rose enters the beginning of her life and the end of her life. Mm. Yeah, mm. so both of them essentially tell the story of a cycle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a particularly Doctor Who way. So actually, I think that does that one. Yeah, mm. I don't think you're going to get anything else. Not really, because yeah. apart from that, they're worlds apart. Family? Shame we didn't get... Family comes into it. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, I thought that's all part of what we were talking about. Well, no, I meant as far as Full full Circle, isn't it? Is Adric's brother in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, in Full Circle, the monsters Mm. are the family with the spiders and Mm. with the people they'll become. Father's Day is about the people you'll become, Mm. etc., etc., is it me? Yeah, Matt's going to pick a couple. I've got the demons, or the daemons. Lee's going to wish he was here, isn't he? And yeah. robot. Yeah, I was intending to do this when Lee was here, but he 
didn't show up. So the, the demons and robots. So but what well, have we said about how we pronounce the? Yeah, go on. Just say so, connection. Um, so That's what I, I was shouting at the telly last night when University Challenge was on because people kept calling Bjork. 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 I thought, well, you think you're that, that clever? You don't even know how to pronounce her name. So there's an obvious connection. I mean, the obvious connection to here is the real villains are are the kind of the humans around the sort of central central robot figure. So they're they're both named after what you would assume the it's villains the monster, are. Yeah. But actually. But actually, the monsters are really humanity all along, apart from in the demons, where it's the master as well. There's one really striking, obvious thing that happens in both <laughs> Something stories. Something grows very big in the final episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, possibly well. more. Actually, I don't know. Is it more successful in? Is it one more successful than the other? I mean, at least the demons—they kind of, they kind of managed to not do it fairly statically. I think. I think it looks pretty awful in the demons. And it looks pretty bad, but all the other expanding... So the other bits of the demons where you're supposed to have a large Azal, they very wisely just suggest it, and that works quite well. Model shots. Yes. And again... Jeep, jeeps and houses. One works really well, and one works... Well, there's and no again, mod. There's very few mod... Well, oh yes, I suppose the church in, in the demons mm. is a notoriously good model shot. And again, thematically speaking, they're both stories about fanaticism and fanatics mm-hmm. and growing uh, followings. Yeah. So they're both about a sort of cult around a fanaticism. And fascists in unusual settings. Mm-hmm. So one is obviously in a sort of a, a sort of science park and one is in a village. <laughs> So, yeah, that makes sense. Shall I pick the next two then? Yeah. Okay, here we go. And I have got Power of the Daleks and Kill the Moon. Wow. Oh, this is quite... Well, there's a certain aesthetic that connects them. They're, they're based on the siege thing. Yeah, but also... So Kill the Moon, Kill the Moon. what sticks in my there's memory is... the planet surface. And it's the yeah, planet yeah. surface quite inventively, inventively recreated. And it's the same with Power of the Daleks, though with less money. There's a sort of opposition in them in that in power of the daleks something is pretending to be good that's actually bad mm. and in kill the moon something appears to be bad but turns out to be good mm-hmm. so they kind of connect through the way they st- tell the story in that the viewer is invited to think of a particular thing a particular way before the rug gets pulled and you find out, or not necessarily the viewer in Power of the Daleks case, but the characters. Mm. But yeah, the characters are invited to think of certain things in a certain way and the rug gets pulled and it turns out that it's the opposite of what they thought. One interesting is a disconnection between the Doctor and his companions. That's in what these I was as thinking. Well. There is, there's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Doctor's a similar sort of, you have to make your own Mm. You have to make your own decision, or you have to do your own thing. And in Power of the Daleks, he's he says that whilst still being around. But in Kill the Moon, it takes it to the next level, and the Doctor actually goes away, goes yeah. away, <laughs> and yeah. forces the companions to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Do you want to pick a couple then, Simon? Mm. Oh, yep. Oh, come on! Just pick a card. I know, I'm trying to pick a card. Stupid stolen things. <laughs> the Eaters of Light, still worst story title ever, and Vincent and the Doctor. Remind me what which one was the Eaters of Light? Was That's that the, the Roman Romans, Rome? ancient Romans? Roman, yeah. Okay. Well, they were they were obviously both the 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 bad guys are not the one of them's really a bad guy, is it? They've both got the... unusual birds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they're, but they're all, you know, people being attacked by them. and But they've both got an element where they're explaining a mythology. And one of them is yeah. literal mythology. And it's illustrated through the birds talking and the crows having that word because of this person who's done this amazing thing. Mm. But in Vincent and the Doctor, it's the mythology of his paintings. And in part, the story explains through the science fiction, where Vincent van Gogh was at the end of his life and the inspiration behind his paintings. So although 
that's not a hugely close connection. It's sort of thematic link between the two episodes. There's also that time dilation thing, isn't there? Where you go Vince and then they take him forward to the future to see his effects on the future and then you see... Eaters of light, you start and end with the scenes in the present. Yeah. Yeah. There's also something about the way or the relationship between the writer and the story as well. They're both quite independent stories. They're Mm. quite sort of... They feel quite separate stories to what's happening around them. Like Mm. Vincent and the Doctor is telling a very, very particular story about mental illness and is a bit like the Doctor's wife last week, completely unlike anything else in that that series around Mm. it. And Eaters of Light... Eaters of Light feels like it's doing the same thing and I'd only seen it once and I I seem to remember not being very well when it was on so I didn't really pay <laughs> attention to it so I need to watch it watch it again sometime I adored it but I got I got the feeling yeah. that it's quite an individual story it's got it quite a, yeah, sort of yeah. a heart to it mm, mm. which Doctor Who often has a heart to it but there's there's something there's a different about, way there's a big thing about heritage in it well um, you can sense you can sense the author you can sense Whatever Richard Curtis contributed yeah. towards him, strong you identity. You can sense there's Richard yeah. Curtis, not with the humour of the story, but with the kind of almost social campaigning of the story. So it's about mental illness, and mm. that's the sort of mm. thing that that Richard Curtis would want to do a story about. Mm. And the big thing, of course, that we're forgetting the main connection between the two is the Scottish element. Although obviously in Vincent and the Doctor, that's just the TARDIS translation circuit. Mm. Okay, moving on. Matt's got two stories, and they are... Inferno and the Happiness Patrol. Well, they're well, both about... Okay. Yeah, go on. You do it. Your stories. Um, so the alternative... I mean, the first thing that springs to mind is the alternative universe in Inferno is a twisted version of, of our universe where good is bad and bad is good and and everything's flipped upside down. And that's what the Happiness Patrol is. But the Happiness Patrol, instead of going, doing what Inferno does, which is a direct parallel universe, the Happiness Patrol uses science fiction in the way that science fiction is so often used as a way of flipping, flipping expectations. So you get a society where you have to be happy. And that's obviously it was part of Cartmel. Cartmel's plan to sort of take down the government, as he said in his job interview. <laughs> but but it's exactly what um, what you'd expect from from a parody of Thatcher. But they're essentially both totalitarian yeah, regimes yeah. that come unstuck when the Doctor yeah. turns up, and they're both sort of, I mean, in a sense, both draw on the same source, which would be Orwell. Hmm. So nineteen eighty four. I mean, that's yeah, it's, yeah. it's an obvious sort of. Yeah, that's what I would say. Okay, I've got Mark of the Rani and Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Oh, blimey. Well, they've both got bits where you're wandering around in the pit. There's body body horror in both as well. So Mark of the Rani, you've got got a character turning into a tree. True, yeah, yeah. And the Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, you've got them turning into something or fused. I can't quite remember what they are. Mm. But in both, I mean, I was... It's more effective than Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. But I remember being quite freaked out by that moment in Mark of the Rani. I think the Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS is the exposure to the Eye of Harmony in the centre of the TARDIS, isn't it, that causes that? Yes. Yeah, there's that. I don't think there's really going to be an awful lot between those two, is there? There's something about memory as well. Isn't there something in Mark of the Rani that drains... Oh, no, it drains brain fluid or something... So there's yeah. not, it's not really... But she she turns people into zombies, doesn't she? It's sort of... They're sort of just... They're just sort of really tired and listless. Oh, OK. <laughs> which I... is which is how I felt when I watched Journey to... No, it's not... Come on, let's move on then. That wasn't a very good one, but... Didn't entirely defeat one, us, but... <clears throat> no, there was one of mine earlier on that wasn't terribly good either. Invasion of the Dinosaurs and the Ice Warriors. Well, about. well, yeah, lizards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things coming back about from the past. Things but... woken up from a long time ago, mm. essentially. Well, yeah. dinosaurs are drawn through time, but yeah, but yeah, that's the big thing. They're both about things from a long time ago that get drawn into the present. Mm. They're both. Are they? Oh, not quite. 
it's a pity Invasion of the Dinosaurs doesn't have a sort of an ecological. So the well, Ice, no, the ice Warriors comes at the time when we well, were worried about global freezing. Don't you remember? That's oh what yeah, they're doing Operation with Golden Age. Yeah. Mm. So they've both got a sort of ecological background to them. And they're both set with a very small number of people in a deserted location that you would, in ordinary circumstances, have expected to be very busy because the Ice Warriors, after the Ice Age, has pushed everybody out of England. Mm. So the Ice Warriors is in England, a deserted England. Invasion of the Dinosaurs is in a deserted London. Mm -hmm. So that's a connection between them as well. Mm. Invasion of the Dinosaurs could probably do with a bit of animation to it to improve it. (laughs) Ho, ho. Go on then, Matt. What are your two stories? I've got Terror of the Vervoids and Under the Lake. <sighs> so remind me, Under the remind me, Under the Lake was the first, the first. Oh well, no, part? both parts. Oh, okay, both parts. Both parts. The story. Um, well, there's a um, there's a, a certain Terror of the Vervoids is set on a ship that's supposed to be a pleasure cruiser. Yeah. Whereas Under the Lake is in this facility that's been built. Under the lake. <laughs> no, I was going somewhere, but now you've made me... I've lost my train of thought. It wasn't very much of a train of thought anyway. But they're both um, set in places where the thing that's going on is... A, oh, no. Isn't Against the idea of... Base under siege, yeah, isn't, it? isn't there something weird happening in Under the Lake with the Doctor's timeline? Because we see the Doctor, mm. we see the Doctor. But he goes back into the so past, doesn't so it? So there's yeah. something happening in the past that says, "Terror of the Vervoids happens in the Doctor's future." Oh well, yeah, that's because that. we actually see the Doctor watching himself in the future, having an adventure, and that's what we see in Under the Lake. Because yes, we, because we can see. Well, we see Clara world. watching yeah. the future Doctor, yeah. mm. who has gone back into the past yeah. and yeah. so basically in both we're watching we're watching characters watching Doctor Who yeah. on the television or in some sort of time dilation. Well that'll do me. Next <laughs> <laughs> I've got the Time Monster and Face of Evil. Um in which there is a computer heavily involved in both. Yeah, and in face of evil, it devolves the societies into the technicians and the survey team. Yeah, but it's the computer that's responsible. So the villain in face of evil is a computer, whereas in time monster, it's not the computer that's responsible, but they're using a computer to call up this being, and the realization of the monster in the time monster isn't that being. But it's then resolved when you get to see that being's true face, which is kind of how Face of Evil's resolved because the Doctor fixes the computer and so its true face resolves the problems that it itself has caused. So there's a sort of thing where the solution is the same thing as the cause of the problem and it's a computer that gets you from one to the other. Are we back to mythology as well, things becoming part of a... Mythology. Yeah, yeah. So Face you've of Evil's got a one. Yeah. And you've got the weird, the weird bird mm. thing. Kronos, yeah. But also the time monster draws on actual mythology, whereas the face of evil invents a mythology. Mm. Mm. And you've both got in both you've got a dichotomy between technological society and society without technology. Mm. So there's that as this is all sort of thematic again. And in face, there's that. In face of evil, isn't there a bit where the computer reverts to being a child? It goes, it yes. progresses to being a child, and in the time monster, that's unfortunately what happens to Benton. Yeah, horribly. <laughs> there we go. There's no eyelids painted, uh, eyes painted on eyelids in the face of evil, is there? Mm. You can imagine Ooh. there would be. It could be. But well, it, there's not eyelids painted on um, eyes painted on eyelids, but there is um, a glove that's used as a hat. Mm. <laughs> that's close enough, isn't yeah. it? That's good for a chicken costume, isn't it? Rubber glove on the head. Um, Enlightenment and the Invisible Enemy. Well, there's a sort of in the. We're obviously thinking out loud here. So, in the Invisible Enemy, 
you go into his brain. So the environment that the story takes place in mm. is not the one that you're expecting at the start of the story. And obviously that's not a huge thing, but obviously in Enlightenment you get the big surprise when you find out where you are. And in Enlightenment, that environment is a faked environment. So it's an artificial environment because it's being created for the race. And whereas in Invisible Enemy it's not a faked environment, the fact that they can be in it is because they've been shrunk mm. and injected into the doctor's brain. So there's an artificiality to that. Actually, it's a sort of story that's actually quite rare now. It's just things set in outer space. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The look, the feel mm. with, with the two. You've got that kind of... The problem is enlightenment is such a very particular particular story. Mm. To ask you, I like enlightenment more and more. As, as I get older, just because there's nothing been, there's nothing to compare it with then, and I don't think there ever will be. Yeah, again, yeah, apart yeah. from, I mean, Mummy on the Orient Express is probably the closest because it's that kind of jarring of a train in space and ships in space. But then the way Enlightenment does it, the way it's not just, oh, that's a surprise, there are ships in space. The way the explanation works and it the way the explanation it, yeah. turns mm. into a story. And turns into characters. An invisible enemy is just horse crap. Is it my <laughs> you, turn? You've, yeah, also, it you've also got that... There's probably a word for it in design, isn't it? Um, to do with the fact that the ships... Well, the, the spaceships literally look like ships. Mm. And in invisible enemy, you've got canine, looks like a dog. Robot mm. looks like a dog. Oh, yeah. Spaceships yeah. look like ships. Yeah, sort of anthropomorphised. Oh. Exactly. Except not quite with, with the ships. No, but, it's probably a... But, yeah. Along the same lines. Yeah, mm. yeah. Is technology hidden behind something more familiar? Familiar, yeah. Mm. So, Matt's got... I've got uh, Turn Left and Silver Nemesis. Wow. So I think the the thing that strikes me um, with these as the, the making of documentaries, <laughs> documentaries, because Turn Left, we still had, we still had Doctor Who confidential at this time. Yeah. Which is, you know, so turn left is at the period where you did get, you got to find out exactly how they made it, almost to a fault. So we found out too much about how they made Doctor You're Hill not seriously time. making this your connection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because the thing that strikes me about Silver Nemesis <coughs> is that Canadian documentary, which I loved, which was brilliant. But that doesn't connect it with turn left. It connects it with anything that added Doctor No, but turn left, is, turn left is there. I mean, beyond... Beyond that, there's a slight apocalyptic um, feeling to Silver Nemesis. There's the end of the world is threatened, I guess. Um, there's a sense in Silver Nemesis that what you've done is taken an idea and then taken elements that weren't necessarily particular to that idea and tried to make a story out of using that idea through the medium of those elements. And in turn left... You, the idea is the Doctor's no longer here. So you're taking the elements from previous stories and showing how they would be different. Mm. Obviously, you're doing a different thing with those elements, but there's a sense in which the story and the elements are two separate things that the author has had to draw together. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if I can go any further with that than mm. that. There's an element of witchcraft in both because the purveyor of the intern left if I'm remembering turn left rightly, Donna is infected. Donna is sold a weird kind of memory mm-hmm. memory beetle by a sort of a woman in a mysterious, like almost like a sort of a, a clairvoyant sort of fortune tellery woman in a shack. Well, yeah. And in Silver Nemesis, there's a very explicit witch in Lady Painfort is a witch, and they both use use alien technology to perform magical acts go a little bit further time sensitive as well but i was going to say painful is drawn into the story from elsewhere in the same way as donna is in turn left yeah through a kind of witchcraft Mm -hmm. so there's that too yeah so actually we did rather better on those two the relationship between magic and it's all about the relationship between magic and science and silver nemesis uh, says the man who's writing a book on the demons yeah exactly 
Yeah. Right, I've got Logopolis and Revelation of the Daleks. Uh, Entropy. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. (laughs) Which... We could have the goblets for every <laughs> Doctor Who story. <laughs> you say, oh, there's death in it. <laughs> no, but there's a really specific way in that work in which that works. Revelation is about things eating themselves, and in Logopolis, you've got the TARDIS eating itself, mm-hmm. in a sense, yeah. or not literally but figuratively speaking you've got so, great, Doctor's Gravestone and Revelation and then he actually does cop it in Logopolis <laughs> <laughs> nicely done yeah. but yeah you've got Logopolis is about recursion and Revelation of the Daleks certainly has an element of that because <laughs> there is also there's the two factions of the Daleks in Revelation of the Daleks so there is definitely a theme of things eating themselves hmm Okay, I'll go okay with that. Okay. Simon, is it you? Oh, yeah, probably. <clears throat> One from the top. Dinosaurs on a spaceship. Yes. And the Satan pit. So they both have... Well, see, what? dinosaurs yeah, on a spaceship yeah. is not something mythological. No. But it's something that we mythologise. And the Satan pit is something religious that we mythologize, and they both appear on spaceships. Both, yeah, both <laughs> things from Earth's distant past. Yeah, there is a theme of bringing things forward from the past again, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hmm. No more. Yeah, I don't know if we can go any further than that. No thoughts from Matt. He's moving on and picking two more stories. I've got Battlefield and the Claws of Axos. We seem to be getting all pairs of classic or all pairs of new and not many... Well, Battlefield and Claws of Axos feel like they should go go together. So they're both set in the near future, possibly. Um, They're they're both... Both got brigadiers in them. They're both featuring nuclear... (laughs) Both got brigadier, brigadiers in them. Yes, yeah. I said at the start, you can't brigadiers. use that. <laughs> um, they both feature nuclear power in odd ways. So uh, Battlefield has a nuclear missile improbably getting bogged down halfway across the countryside. They both... Claws of Axel's feature a nuclear power station. But like... So, oddly enough, I had Curse of Pembroke <coughs> and the Sea Devils. So this is a game. I've got a 70s and an 80s storyline. In the 80s, again, the fear was not nuclear power stations going bad, which is what they were in Claws of Axos and Hand of Fear. In the 1980s, the fear was the nuclear missiles that the Americans were storing in Greenham Common. And so Battlefield reflects that. That's that kind of of nuclear fear. Whereas in Claws of Axos, in fact, the whole thing is about the fear of nuclear, not just the fact that it's partly, it partly takes place in a nuclear power station, but also what the gift that the axons are giving uh, is basically a metaphor for unlimited power, power without responsibility, power that just, just won't stop. And that's what nuclear power is. Mm. It's the big anti-nuclear power story of the 1970s. And Battlefield is the big anti-nuclear weapon story of the 1980s. So it remind me, who was it established who Morgana is it Morgana? Morgane. Morgane, yeah. Actually is. Is she some is she actually from the past? Is she the person she's, she's from the parallel, future? Parallel, parallel future. Parallel future. The yeah. thing that connects these two stories is that they're both about something that gets drawn to Earth and isn't what it seems to be. Mm. So the knights in Battlefield look like they come from mythology, but actually they're real and the mythology's come out of them. And in the Claws of Axos, Axos comes to Earth and promises Earth something that's completely the opposite of what it actually intends to do. Mm-hmm. So though they're both different in different ways, both stories start with an idea that turns out to be a disguise for what's actually happening. Well, they both also feature moments of temptation as well, which is connected to what you're saying. Yeah. So the axons are trying to tempt. They they turn yeah, up yeah. and they're trying to tempt humanity. And Battlefield has those really good moments where Morgana's making a deal. Yeah, yeah. For people's lives, so less temptation, but more sort of a twisted sense of honor, I guess. Mm, mm. 
Right, and I've got The God Complex and Warriors of the Deep. Oh, my word. There should have been another way. <laughs> um, but what's Warriors of the Deep about? It's about something waking up. Mm-hmm. And... Not feed... The God Complex is about something that's been imprisoned and is feeding on what's around it. But the thing that's in the God Complex is something mythological so again we've got this same thing like we had with the dinosaurs just now in that one of them's got something that we've created as a myth and the other's got something that existed and that we've mythologized particularly in the way it's used in doctor who but they're both things that have turned up where they weren't meant to be so they're both creatures of they're both creatures of non-technology who've been stuck inside technology and are having to use or fight the technology in order to free themselves from the shackles that in the God Complex have been put upon it or in Warriors of the Deep they perceive to be upon them because now their planet's been overrun by humans. Yeah, so there's a complexity in... It's not just good versus evil in either story. There's a complexity to them. And there's a regret in the end of both when the Doctor's forced to kill the the Sea Devils and the Silurians. And the Doctor's forced to kill the Minotaur in the God Complex? What happens at the end of that? I think it does die. Yeah. Mm. I can't remember. Well, I can remember it being a very sad, sad moment. And in Warriors of the Deep, they kind of pretend that it's a sad moment with a line. But the Doctor, you know, quite, quite happily gasses them. And in the God Complex, you've got that scene where the Doctor opens the door to face his worst fear. And in Warriors of the Deep, you've got the bit where he jumps off the platform and pretends to drown. Mm. Which is obviously not two things that are remotely connected, but hey. <laughs> did we ever find out what the greatest fear is? Did we? Did, uh, we, we did, he was did in we? the time of the Doctor. What was was it? it time of the Doctor? Yes, it was time of the Doctor. They did resolve it. Was it the crack? Um, it was or, either the crack or the weeping angels. I can never remember. No, mm. it wasn't the weeping angels because that was somebody else's. Amy's. Yeah. It'd be the crack. Yeah. Because it's something that he's partially responsible for causing okay. himself. Yeah. Mm. And also, the guy who played the monitor in God Complex um, was a small child when Rentagos was on. Okay. Okay. Cool. Right, Simon, stop fiddling around with those and pick two of these. <laughs> yes. but, by which you mean his testicles. I'm neatening the cards we've used into a neat pile. Was the oh, guy my OCD who... coming out. Spearhead from space and the Reboss operation. And obviously we can't use Robert Holmes. Or the fact that they're both the first episode in the series. Yeah. Uh, let me think, let me think. In the they're Reboss... both funny. They're, they're both, both genuinely funny. They both uh, feature con men criminals. So Spearhead from Space has Sam Seeley, who's a kind of a weird yeah. dealer, gamekeeper. Ribos Operation has the con men. And they're both sort of, they're both almost sort of class, class distinctions. Yeah, no, go them. back to what you were saying just now. Because although that's not the connection, or that's, <laughs> what I mean yeah. is that's not that's the connection not in, I was in thinking. your head, yeah. But no, but if you go yeah. further than that, Spearhead yeah. from, or Reboss Operation, mm. the con is on Graf Finder K. Mm. Yeah. And the con men are pretending something is other than what it is in order... So the story revolves around a con. Yeah. In which something is not what it's supposed to be. Mm. And somebody... And it's a deliberate con. The, the, it's a pretense that this thing is not what it's supposed to be rather than somebody just mistaking it, it's something that's presented mm. as being something other than what it really is, but it's being presented as a thing that does exist, it's just that this thing is not that thing. Mm. Well, Spearhead from Space, the Autons' invasion depends upon them presenting members of Parliament and so on, but they're replicated by something else so the members of parliament are not what they really are. It's okay. about fabricating something in order to pull a con. Right. So Spearhead from Space essentially 
pulls the con in the same way as the rebus operation does. Obviously, it's managed entirely differently. Yes. But it's a con. It's about putting something in something else's place. Hmm. So, I don't think that'll do. That's close mm-hmm. enough, isn't it? Gets me off the hook. You can do these <laughs> ones if you want. Okay. Enemy of the World and Victory of the Daleks. Well, they've got very similar um, structures to their titles. <laughs> which yeah. Which is good. Um, Victory of the Daleks is about the Daleks about pretending what? to be good when they're yeah. bad. Enemy yeah. of the World is about Salamander pretending yeah. to be good when he's bad. But in both cases, it's not just the fact that they're doing that, but that they're doing that with an ultimate purpose. And I suppose Salamander's ultimate purpose is just the yeah. simple one if I want to take over the world. But I mean, he is affecting that by pretending to be the good man when really he's hiding his villainy, well, which is what the Daleks do in Victory. They've both got world leaders at the core of their stories. Yeah, yeah. So they're told on a, on a that sort of scale. scale. of power. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Interesting. Oh, that'll do that. Is there's it also me? a really good bit in Victory of the, the... The good bit in Victory of the Daleks, and I've always liked it, is the Doctor on the Dalek spaceship. They filmed it somewhere with a ceiling. Mm. And it's obviously done in a real room. But because you're watching it on a monitor and it's in black and white, and it's got a ceiling and you've got Daleks and you've got the Doctor, mm. it feels like you're watching a 1960s episode. On that I, I love that, yeah. That I, was really I thought good. I was on my own with that. And Enemy, of the, Enemy of the World, yeah. you're watching a 60s episode on your TV, which you wouldn't have seen no, no. years ago. So that there was a same, similar sort of nostalgic feel to mm. the two of them. Mm. That's my bit. Okay, right. I have got Gridlock and the Mind Robber. God almighty. Mm, there's a similar kind of playfulness to each. I mean, Gridlock is a series of scenes set in in ever increasingly weird um more train, than that train cars. gridlock and the mind robber are both about worlds that have become mm. stuck in a pattern because the nobody can see a way to break the pattern so in the mind robber the environment is being controlled by the master of the and a fiction because mm. he's trapped in this role. In Gridlock, the environment is being controlled inadvertently, I suppose, by the macra. But in both of those stories, the populations are dancing to somebody's tune without realising that's what they're doing. Mm. And the story in both cases is about breaking that cycle so that the, the ordinary people can get out of it and get back to being alive. Mm. As you said, his story is quite a strong component, obviously, for obvious reasons of the mind robber, but in Gridlock. The, the musical people, scene, the, mm. the things that they do to pass the time, mm. essentially represent the same idea, even if they're not represented in the same way. There's something in the geography of the stories as well, because Gridlock, from the Russell T. Davis quote, famously goes up and down. Up and down. And there's something about the mind robber, it doesn't go left to right. So the mind robber is it's almost about sort of... It's about so there's the, peeling the, back the layers to get to the centre. But there's also, more literally than that... Well, there's Rapunzel. There's the, the Rapunzel scene, there's people going up ladders, there's people being dropped into forests from above. If so you, there's a lot of sort of up-down in, in the mind robber. Mm. After something like Dominators, where there's just like meaningless quarry left right, it is a, a about unicorns. Yes, unicorn obviously in the Mind Robber, unicorn in Blade Runner, Blade Runner, big influence. Okay, there we go. All right, go on, Simon. Pick a couple of stories: the Time Meddler and the Gunfighters. Oh. So you got two Hartnells. So we're not allowed to use Hartnell or any of companions, Stephen. No, both historical. Uh... Oh, they're both, both about interfering <laughs> with history. Yeah, yeah. Gunfighters just does it. Just mm. does the story as we've learned it through the mythologizing of history. Whereas the Time Meddler actually is about taking history 
and taking history that's real and changing it. So The Gunfighters is about figuratively mythologising history and The Time Meddler is about literally trying to change it, but which would essentially come to the, some sort of the same thing. Mm. But there's, there's something, something about one. the way, also, in the beginning of The Time Meddler, Stephen Taylor is very sceptical and he's carrying... He's carrying stuff from the chase with him into the story. And so th- there's a kind of an echo of the previous story in The Time Meddler, and this happens in other stories in the 60s, so this isn't unique. But the one thing I like about the gunfighters is the 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 characters are projected into the story because the Doctor's got a toothache, toothache yeah. after eating this, one of the sweets that the Celestial Toymaker gave him. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of like... I kind of like that about the gunfighters. Mm. The fact that the Celestial Toymaker, <clears throat> who's this arch villain, gets his own back just with a sweet. By giving him two giving him two, two There's something very Donald Cotton about that kind of... Is it Donald Cotton? Yeah. yeah. There's something very Donald Cotton about it. I've got the web planet and the visitation. So the challenge here is the web planet is, again, like Enlightenment, completely different um, to, to anything else around it. That's I mean, a, a fairly standard story, though, and one of the fairly standard things in this story is the subjugation of one species to another mm. by an outside influence. Yeah. The visitation, you've got a very slight element of that, whereas... Well, you, ex- get, you get an element of that with the backstory of the Pteroleptals. And also so, you get an element of that with the villagers being subjugated yes. to the Pteroleptals. Yeah, but you also get the impression that t- the Pteroleptals are... Are a kind of a, I can't remember what their backstory is, but they they've been sort of are they a subjugated? They've race escaped from a prison, criminal? haven't they? Yeah, criminals because that's why the one we see the most of has got that huge scarring on his face. Yeah, so they've come from the prison planet of Raga or something. But again, like most monsters, so there's a there's a monster connection, and again, this isn't unique, but monsters that are based on on. Sort of earth animals, sort of enlarged or heightened. Yeah, so pteroleptals yeah. are obviously terrapins, that have been anthropomorphized, and the web planet is just full of like moths that have been anthropomorphized, and that's a common thing. But yeah, move on. That'll do. Um, I have got the moon base and the androids of Tara, which is uh, oh, robots. There are robots in both. Um, yeah, we've got to find something a bit more than that, haven't we? Um, Go on then. <laughs> no, I don't know if I can. Um, I suppose, in a way, and this is very, very, very loose, The Androids of Tara is based on a book. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, The Androids of Tara comes from something else that comes from the human imagination... The moon base is about humans going to the moon. So the moon base is kind of about people realising their dreams because we've always dreamed of being on the moon. And the androids of Tara is about Doctor Who realising somebody else's dreams. In other words, it's adapting somebody else's work. That's they really do, loose. They do, have a kind of, they do have a kind of similar atmosphere at the beginning. And I'm not punning when I say atmosphere. But the moon base from memory is they land on the moon and they want to demonstrate to Jamie how fun time travel can be. So they persuade the Doctor to let them go outside and bounce Mm. around for a while. They don't intend to get into an adventure. With Androids of Tara, the Doctor's basically just said, no, I'm not having any of this, I'm going fishing. And so the, there's both a kind of a recreational start to it. And, and I suppose, the, and yeah. the story develops out of that. And I suppose, because in the Androids of Tara, it's the one in the key to time where they find the mm. key to time immediately. Yeah. So there's a sense that they're there for one thing mm. and get drawn into something else. Yeah. But that's not uncommon in Doctor Who. No. But no. I suppose it's just slightly more heightened in these two stories. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell us what your two mm. are then, Simon? I have Face the Raven and Rise of the Cybermen. Oh, okay. So there's a parallel reality thing going on here. Mm-hmm. Rise of the Cybermen is on a parallel Earth, but Face the Raven is in 
something that effectively is a parallel reality within our own reality, this trap street. Mm. So although physically the reality in Face the Raven does exist, there's a sense in which both of them are based on things that are slightly at odds with the way we understand our environment. Yeah. And the word inevitability. Yes. Yeah. So this idea that the Cybermen are so-called inevitable. That they They're going to happen whether wherever. the Doctor tries to stop them or not. And then Clara's inevitable. fate is yeah. inevitable. And face the Raven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. One more. I've got Last Christmas and The Runaway Bride. <laughs> They're both Christmas episodes. Yeah, next. Oh, he went there. He went there. Um, yeah, yeah. Where in some ways that makes it harder to find a more sexy connection. Um, I mean, they both <laughs> both got they're both strong. Got strong Christmas. Well, has the Runaway Bride got Christmas elements? No, too? not really. It does um, take place at Christmas. The Runaway Bride still got like a revolving Christmas tree. The Runaway Bride has got the spiders and spider eggs that have been living at the centre of our planet since it was created that we've been entirely unaware of. Yeah. Last Christmas has got the dreams within dreams, mm. which is obviously completely different, but it's about... Both stories are about not being aware of something that becomes the centre point for the story, the problem that needs resolving. Yeah. And again, that's really loose, but it is slightly a connection in a very tenuous thematic way mm-hmm. yeah. there's a parasitic element to both yeah, isn't there definitely yeah actually you've got the spiders in one spider creatures in one and spider creatures in the other mm-hmm. essentially yeah. and this idea that Donna was being fed with this stuff to make her not see things straight yeah which yeah. is what's happening in Last Christmas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also attracted to the, there's a, the reason why she's transported isn't there because he's been feeding her literally physically feeding her Stuff, mm. that's right, isn't it? In Runaway Bride, Lance. Yeah, Lance. yeah. The reason yeah. why she gets she goes and no one else is because okay, because she's been irradiated with exactly with secret secret spider energy that she okay yeah. All right, moving on. I've got the time of the Doctor and the keys of Mariners. Um, there's an element in both stories where the Doctor has to stick around beyond the point at which he'd ordinarily leave ordinarily leave in order to do something for somebody that is not quite the same thing as the normal doctor turns up, finds a problem, solves problem. So in the Keys of Mariners he sets off to get he gets sent off to get the keys. And in the time of the doctor is because of the fact that you've got this crack there and all these aliens are being drawn there that he decides he has to stick around and protect the planet. Mm. So again, that's quite loose. He probably, he probably fights did, a contingent of the Vord in time of the Doctor <laughs> at some point over he, the X thousand years. He does become immersed into each of those societies mm. more so than he would in another story. Yes, yeah. he's more of the planet, I guess. Not f- literally physically in the time of the Doctor, but he gets to see more of the planet mm. in a temporal sense. Mm. Whereas in Keys of Mariners, it's in a physical sense. But there is that, there is the thing of the way the story presents its adventure is in a different way from how Doctor Who normally does it. And there are ice, there are ice soldiers in Keys of Mariners. Well, yeah, which are a bit like prototypical Cybermen. Well, in parts the cartoon strip in Doctor Who magazine, oh, the board turned into the, the Cybermen. And in Time of the Doctor, you've got a Cyberman turning into a wooden thing. Yeah. So they're both about Cybermen that aren't Cybermen. Mm. That'll do. Do you want to do a couple more, Simon? Yeah. Well, We're nearly up to an hour. Should we make this the last round, Simon, Can Matt, yeah, and me? Yeah, okay, okay. I've got two here. Right, Invasion of Time and City of Death. Oh, wow. Invasion of Time, City of Death. What, um, was, the, what was the original name for City of Death? Gamble with time. There we go. My go. (laughs) (laughs) No, but thematically, Mm. Invasion of Time, it's about an invasion by the Fardens that turns out to be a front for the Sontarans. Mm. And in City of Death, everything's a front. So in a sense, they're both about contracts. 
You've also got a, a, a flip halfway through each. So an invasion of time, as you say, you get that flip when the Sontarans appear. Mm. In City of Death, you've actually got that flip when Scarlione turns out to be Scarlet. in the, in the past yeah. and in the oh, future. Oh, I see. So I when, he say... go, when he goes to Da Vinci's time and then sees uh, sees Scarlione there, mm. Tancredi, mm. Um, that's that's a similar sort of plot that's a similar sort of re- both, rewiring your got brain those mon- monster plot. reveals haven't you with Scaroff yeah. and the Sontarans but yes. the bit where yeah the plot flips in the invasion of time that's when it becomes absolutely apparent it's a con but in City of Death that's when you get your first hint that it's a con yeah. so the flips are to do with the con itself they both have resolutions based on fairly blunt so City of Death has a resolution based on a punch <laughs> Invasion of Time has a resolution of the Doctor unlikely in an unlikely use of a disintegrator gun that you've yeah, never yeah, used yeah. before the difference being in City of Death they know that that's, that's like a cliche in Doctor Who and they refer to it as... Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, Is there a point in the City of Death where the Doctor breaks the fourth wall? Oh, well... There must be. Yeah. I'm sitting there, there's that point in Invasion of Time, isn't there? Yes. Which is not even the sonic screwdriver is going to get me out of this one. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the failure of the sonic screwdriver in both. Oh, okay. Because can't, you can't get out of... can't get out of the prison in City of Death because the sonic screwdriver doesn't do wood or something like that. Oh, Okay. One, there's a bit in the Invasion of Time where he's in the lead-lined room, so there's a sense of ordinary Doctor Who paraphernalia being useless mm. in a situation, I guess. Sort of. I had the War Games and the Return of Doctor Mysterio. Nicely done. Um, so uh, both both initially seem to take place in on Earth, um, and then it's, it transpires that there's some sort of alien around. But that's pretty much every Doctor Who story that's ever been, ever been made. Um, um, go on. Oh, well, I'm thinking aloud here, so I'm not sure if this is going anywhere. But in The Return of Doctor Mysterio, okay, this is not the thing, but the Doctor creates the hero. Yeah. So he's kind of a fabricated hero. And in the war games, the games are fabricated, and therefore the people fighting... The well, games that, are also a fabrication. They're real people, but what they're doing is a fabrication. Well, that, more than that. So, as you say, Doctor Mysterio is based on the Doctor pretending to be a hero, a f- fabricating a hero. The war games, the Doctor goes on trial because everything he's thought has been heroic in his adventures, the Time Lords have decided isn't is is immoral or yeah, illegal, yeah. and so the Doctor reaches his comeuppance rightly or wrongly there we go <laughs> that'll do right last pair and I've got the reign of terror and the hand of fear oh okay so are we completely stumped by the last pair um, well no there's lots of uh, being locked up <laughs> and <laughs> and running around um, is there a there's the Reign of Terror is about people escaping out of France during a revolution. Yeah. The Hand of Fear, in a sense, is about the aftermath of a revolution yeah, yeah. where the revolutionary has been imprisoned, that mm-hmm. being Eldrad. Yes. So the Hand of Fear essentially thematically works as a sort of sequel to the things that are going on in the Reign of Terror. I don't know if I can go any further with that. I was that. <laughs> Companions being pivotal to the story? Don't know. Well, isn't that a lot of Doctor Who, really? Mm. Yeah, let's leave it at that. That was. Well, look it's a at shame the, we ended well, with that one, really. No, look at the titles Reign of Terror and the Hand of Fear. I mean, terror and fear are synonymous. Well, anybody who owns a horse knows that you hold the reins in your hands. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Okay, that'll do. Next week, we'll be back. We will be back with um, the Rebel Flesh and the Almost People. Before we go, we have a handful of cards left. I'm going to randomly pick them out in pairs in case the listeners want to do a few themselves. Okay, and where should they email? 
No, this is just for them to do at home. But they can but find they us. Could, they could email it. Okay, if anybody wants to email in, blueboxpodcast <laughs> at yahoo.co.uk. Mm. But just in your own head or whatever, because most people don't respond to podcasts because they're listening while they're at work or something. But if you just want to do a handful in your own head, Planet of Evil, Mordrin Undead. I'll just give you a handful of seconds. Wanders 2, <laughs> The Time Warrior and Smile. Todd Warrior makes me smile. Frontier in Space and the Sontaran Experiment. And Dragonfire and the Ark. And finally, Kinder and Carnival of Monsters. Oh, that's a nice one to end on. We should have done that one ourselves. Hmm. Well, they're the handful that were left over, just in case anybody does want to. Um, Until next week, when we're doing the Rebel Flesh and the Almost People, I was JR. I was Simon. I was Matt. I I said Mark then. God. Oh, my (laughs) Lord. We will speak again soon. 